As a motive for murder, thrill is, in my opinion, probably the most frightening. There are those who kill for sexual gratification, those who kill for monetary gain, and those who kill out of jealousy and or rage. While these murders are horrifying, they do not leave us mystified as to the killer's reasoning behind their terrible deed. Killing for the thrill of it is a different story. In the book, Different Crimes, Different Criminals, Understanding, Treating, and Preventing Criminal Behavior, the authors describe the motives of a thrill killer as follows. The thrill killer's motive is the excitement of the killing, where much of the pleasure is derived from the process of the kill, rather than the kill itself. Thrill killers murder not because they are impelled to do so out of obligation to their community, or even in response to voices in their heads. They simply enjoy the act of killing. As you probably guessed, this story is about thrill killers, a couple specifically, who preyed on two innocent people for no reason other than that they decided it would be something fun to do together. I'm your host Natalie, and this is Talk Murder With Me, Episode 17, Benjamin and Erica Sifrit. Erica Elaine Grace was born in 1978 in Roaring Spring, Pennsylvania, to Charlotte Gale and Gerald Mitchell Grace. An only child, Erica never wanted for anything, thanks to the wealth her father accumulated owning his own construction business. In high school, Erica was a star basketball player and an honor roll student. She graduated in 1996 and went on to attend Mary Washington University in Fredericksburg, Virginia, having earned a partial athletic scholarship. As she had in high school, Erica excelled in college, both in athletics and academics. In 2000, she graduated with a degree in history. Erica appeared to have it all, but deep down, she was insecure and known to be easily influenced by those around her. It was sometime in 1998 that Erica met a man who would take advantage of these insecurities. Benjamin Sifrit, who went by BJ, was the same age as Erica. Initially, the two seemed to be a good fit. They had a lot in common, particularly athletics. Benjamin, originally from Estherville, Iowa, had been a competitive swimmer in high school and was employed as a lifeguard. When he graduated, he enrolled in the Navy and began SEAL training, which he excelled in. Erica and Benjamin were a conventionally good-looking couple, who both viewed health and fitness as a top priority in their lives. But Benjamin had a dark side, perhaps best illustrated by the large swastika he had tattooed on his chest. While the vast majority of women would rightfully run for the hills on seeing this, Erica did not. Benjamin was manipulative and known for his bad temper, but he could switch on the charm when he wanted to. I imagine he mostly intimidated the women he pursued with his hulking physique and Nazi tattoo. After just a few weeks of dating, Benjamin proposed to Erica. To the dismay of her friends and family, she said yes. Erica had never been known as an impulsive or irresponsible person. Agreeing to such a spontaneous and rushed marriage proposal just wasn't like her at all. But I imagine she may well have been afraid to say no to Benjamin, for the reasons I mentioned earlier. In 1998, Erica and Benjamin married. They didn't invite anyone to their wedding ceremony, not even their parents. 
Their honeymoon period was short-lived. It wasn't long before Benjamin's Navy career began falling apart. In 2000, he was court-martialed at North Carolina's Camp Lejeune for a variety of offenses, including absence without leave and insubordination. One Navy prosecutor said Benjamin seemed to have developed a, quote, utter disregard for authority. The circumstances surrounding the collapse of his career are unclear, but apparently he left an assignment one day and sped off in a car, going 50 in a 15-mile-per-hour zone. Captain E.F. Crail, serving as his defense counsel, said, quote, This is a sailor who was showing good qualities and got his SEAL qualification and everything. Apparently something happened in his last command where he lost that designation. He seems from that to have completely lost motivation for the Navy. He ended up being dishonorably discharged on the grounds of bad conduct. In early 2001, Erica and Benjamin, both 23 at this point, moved to Altoona, Pennsylvania, near where Erica grew up. This was the first time Erica's parents met Benjamin. They were hardly thrilled by their daughter's new husband. It was here that the couple opened a scrapbooking store, which they called Memory Lane, which involved them putting together scrapbooks for customers. They also started selling things on eBay, specifically merchandise they would steal when they broke into restaurants and stores after they closed. They were particularly into stealing from Hooters restaurants. Erica seemed to be rapidly flying off the rails, eager to impress her new thug of a husband. She began drinking heavily and taking narcotics. She bought Benjamin snakes to keep as pets, one of which they supposedly named Hitler. Her friends were baffled by the bizarre changes in her personality. It was on Memorial Day weekend, 2002, that Erica and Benjamin took their first trip together. They picked Ocean City, Maryland as their destination, renting a penthouse apartment downtown in the Rainbow Condominium Complex. Meanwhile, 51-year-old insurance underwriting supervisor, Martha Jean Crutchley, who went by Jeannie, and her boyfriend, 32-year-old investment banker, Joshua Ford, were also heading to Ocean City for Memorial Day weekend. The couple, who were from Fairfax, Virginia, had lived together for about a year. They were really looking forward to a fun and relaxing holiday weekend together. On the evening of May 25th, Josh and Jeannie got on a bus heading downtown. They planned to grab some dinner and drinks and just see where the night would take them. On the bus, they met an outgoing young couple, Benjamin and Erica Sifret, who asked them if they would like to join them at a downtown nightclub called Secrets. Josh and Jeannie agreed to join them. The four had a good time together at the club, drinking, talking, and dancing. As the club was getting ready to close for the night, Benjamin and Erica asked Josh and Jeannie to come back to the penthouse they were renting for more drinks. Josh and Jeannie happily obliged. No one would hear from them again after that night. When they didn't turn up at their respective jobs the following week, their co-workers became worried and reported them missing. In the early hours of May 31st, a Hooters in Ocean City was broken into. The police were alerted to the break-in by a silent alarm and made their way out to the restaurant. 
When they arrived, they immediately spotted two people, a man and a woman, leaving the building. Both were carrying large piles of Hooters merchandise. The officers got out of their car and approached the thieves. It was Benjamin and Erica Sifrit. Along with the stolen merchandise, Erica was carrying a three fifty seven Magnum revolver and a knife, and Benjamin was carrying a 9mm handgun and a knife. The pair were arrested on the spot. At this point, Erica broke down, crying that she was having a panic attack and needed her anxiety medication from her purse. An officer began sifting through the purse, finding something much more intriguing. ID cards belonging to Joshua Ford and Jeannie Crutchley, the couple from Virginia who had last been seen in Ocean City nearly a week ago. Benjamin and Erica refused to talk about where the IDs came from. They were promptly taken to the station for questioning. Meanwhile, police made their way to the penthouse Erica and Benjamin had been renting for their vacation, in hopes that they might find Josh and Jeannie. They did not find the couple. They did, however, find pictures of Josh and Jeannie on their vacation, and a key to the condo unit they had been staying in. The search became more incriminating by the minute. The police found cocaine and blood splatter in the master bedroom and in the bathroom. It also appeared that they had bought wall paste and paint, most likely to fill in and paint over a bullet hole in the bathroom wall. There were several spent bullets found on a table inside the penthouse. Analysis of these revealed that they had been shot from the three fifty seven Magnum found on Erica. One of them had blood on it. DNA testing revealed that the blood belonged to Joshua Ford. During questioning, Benjamin refused to speak, immediately asking for a lawyer. Erica, on the other hand, began talking pretty much right away. In her story, her husband was the real killer. Josh and Jeannie had come back to their penthouse after a night out, and she suspected that the couple had stolen from her, so Benjamin shot them. He had shot Joshua first in the head. Then he shot Jeannie, who was curled up in a ball under the vanity table in the bathroom. All she had done was help him dispose of the bodies. But this wasn't the whole story. Josh and Jeannie's bodies had not just been buried in the woods somewhere. They had been dismembered, put in garbage bags, and then thrown in Ocean City dumpsters. Erica also pointed the finger at Benjamin for dismembering the couple. Police searched landfills in Worcester County, Maryland, and nearby Sussex County, Delaware. Their search did yield results, but it's not as though anyone felt good about the findings. Uncovering a murder victim's dismembered body parts in a landfill is hardly cause for celebration, but at least their families got some closure, albeit brutal. All they recovered of Jeannie was one of her legs, while they recovered Josh's torso and arms. To this day, the rest of their remains still have not been found. As a result, Jeannie's cause of death was never officially determined. However, three bullets were recovered from Josh's remains. They had all been shot from the three fifty seven Magnum found with Erica. Erica and Benjamin were both charged with first-degree murder in the deaths of Josh and Jeannie. They pleaded not guilty. 
On March 31st, 2003, Benjamin Sifrit's trial began. It was moved out of Worcester County to Montgomery County due to the publicity the case received. The public and the tabloids were particularly intrigued by the attractive couple who appeared to have led impressive lives up to that point. Unsurprisingly, Benjamin's swastika tattoo also became a point of fascination. According to court documents, Erica had spoken of her husband's obsession with power and control, and how his views aligned with those of Hitler. His attorney, William Brennan, attempted to undermine the narrative Erica had provided, that Benjamin was the driving force of the murders, and she only played a passive role. He told the jury in his opening statement that Erica was high on a cocktail of booze, anxiety medication, and diet pills. He basically suggested that Erica had some kind of drug-induced break and killed the couple. However, Benjamin helped dispose of the bodies, largely because he was scared of Erica's erratic behavior. Brennan told the jury that the murder weapon was the three fifty-seven Magnum found on Erica's person. He explained how ballistics tests on the gun showed that bullets fired from it killed Joshua Ford. I don't really think that the fact that this gun was found on Erica when they were caught is particularly indicative that she pulled the trigger. The prosecution was led by Worcester County State's attorney, Joel Todd. Their star witness was a woman named Melissa Selling, who had spent an evening in Ocean City with Benjamin and Erica after a friend of hers, Justin Wright, who had just met them, asked her to come hang out with them. Initially, Melissa appeared anxious and tearful as she told the court her story, but that didn't last long. She soon settled in and was able to recount her experience with ease. Melissa arrived at the location Justin told her to meet them. She found Justin with Erica and Benjamin in a car with a flat tire. They were all intoxicated and behaving strangely. Erica embraced her as though they were best friends, even though she had never met her in her life. Benjamin had blood smeared across his mouth, which he blamed on driving over a curb and splitting his lip on the steering wheel. Like Joshua and Jeannie, Melissa and Justin had gone back to the penthouse Erica and Benjamin were renting. Melissa went on to describe to the court one of the most bizarre nights of her life. In her view, Benjamin and Erica Sifrit were clearly unhinged. Once they arrived, Erica showed her their pet snakes and talked about her fondness for snorting her anxiety medication. She then excitedly suggested that they get in the hot tub together. But her mood quickly changed. Initially, she was giddy and a bit manic. Then, just like that, she was furious, yelling about how she couldn't find her purse. Benjamin, who had not been particularly animated up to that point, jumped up and demanded that whoever had taken the purse give it back. He flashed a handgun in his waistband and pointed threateningly towards the bathroom door, which had the obvious shape of a bullet hole in it. He became very, very angry. He said, if we ripped him off like the other people who were here, he would do the same thing to us that he did to them, referring to the bullet hole in the door. But the purse was there all along, Melissa told the jury. It was obvious that the two just enjoyed terrorizing people. On cross-examination by Brennan, 
Melissa said that when she got in the car, Benjamin turned to her and said that he needed to drive, even though he was more drunk than Erica. He said, referring to Erica, she packs heat. I can't keep her under control. She'll kill a cop. Melissa acknowledged that she told the police she could not be sure if Benjamin had said that he had killed the couple, meaning Jeannie and Josh, if his wife killed them, or if they both killed them together. In a tense back and forth with Brennan, Melissa argued that there was no difference. You're unsure whether or not he ever said he killed anyone, she killed anyone, or they both killed anyone. Isn't that right, Miss Selling? Brennan asked. No matter how you pick apart the words, he admitted to me throughout the night, in one way or another, that he was involved in the murder of those two people, Melissa replied. After deliberating for nearly 14 hours over two days, the jury found Benjamin guilty of the second-degree murder of Jeannie Crutchley. He was ultimately acquitted of all charges in the murder of Joshua, much to the dismay of Judge Paul Weinstein. On hearing the verdict, Joshua's brother Mark was enraged. He told the media he was totally disgusted with the jury's decision. He wanted Benjamin Sifrit to die in prison, he said. Benjamin was also found guilty of being an accessory to murder after the fact for dismembering the bodies and throwing them in the trash, which he admitted to when testifying at trial. This was nothing more than a thrill killing you and your wife committed. Judge Weinstein said to Benjamin, You're a butcher. You murdered these people for no good reason. Just a side note, is there ever a good reason to murder people? The judge ultimately sentenced Benjamin to 38 years, 30 years for second-degree murder and first-degree assault, and five years for accessory to murder after the fact. He also pleaded guilty to second-degree burglary for stealing from the Ocean City Hooters and carrying a dangerous weapon during the break-in. Weinstein sentenced him to three years in prison for the burglary and ordered that the sentence run consecutively with the other charges. I don't know what possessed you to do what you did, and I don't know what possessed your wife to do what she did, Weinstein said. I do know that if it wasn't for the masterful job your lawyers did in this case, you would probably be facing a life sentence. But the jury has spoken, and I am bound by what the jury has said in this case. It's one of the few instances in 20 years that I disagree with the jury's verdict. Weinstein acknowledged that Benjamin would be eligible for parole after serving half of his sentence. He put a note in the case file in which he wrote that if he was still alive when he was up for parole, he would like to be notified so that he could oppose it. In Judge Weinstein's view, Benjamin Sifrit should never be a free man. Erica's trial began two months later on June 2nd, 2003. It was moved out of Worcester County to Frederick County for the same publicity reasons that Benjamin's trial was moved. Erica's attorneys said the 357 Magnum, which Benjamin's attorneys claimed she shot Joshua with, was actually registered to her husband. However, like I said earlier, I'm not really sure how relevant this is. It's not as though you can't shoot a gun just because it's not registered to you. Worcester County State's attorney, Joel Todd, told jurors that Erica lured Josh and Jeannie to their penthouse, where they toyed with them, terrorized them, and eventually killed them. 
They did it for no reason other than that the act of killing gave them a rush. Todd told the jury that three bullets were recovered from Josh, which had been shot from the 357 Magnum Benjamin had given to Erica. He surmised that she shot at Jeannie once as she hid under the vanity table in the bathroom, but missed, his clue being a bullet hole in the wall under the table. Erica kept trophies from her victims, including the distinctive dragon ring Josh had been wearing the night he was killed. She actually wore the ring, which was stained with his blood, on a chain around her neck. This could be seen in photos displayed by the prosecution of Erica and Benjamin at the beach in the days following the murders. They both look at ease and carefree in the pictures, demonstrating how little remorse they felt for what they had done. She also kept the four spent shell casings as souvenirs. Erica claimed that their motive for the murders was that they believed Josh and Jeannie had stolen her purse. Specifically, her prized red coach bag with a ring belonging to her grandmother worth $10,000 inside. Erica tried the same stunt again several days later with Melissa selling, but as Melissa testified in Benjamin's trial, the purse was never missing. Todd argued that even if there is doubt as to whether or not Erica physically pulled the trigger and killed Jeannie and Josh, there is plenty of evidence to show that she played a pivotal role in assisting her husband in the killings, which makes her equally guilty. He highlighted the legal principle of aiding and abetting in carrying out a crime. Ladies and gentlemen, the defendant and Benjamin Sifrit are a team. The whole episode was teamwork, Todd said. One of Erica's attorneys, Arcangelo Tominelli, accused the prosecution of altering their theories between the two trials in order to make Erica's role appear greater than it really was. They also painted her as a vulnerable and easily manipulated young woman. Addressing the pictures the prosecution had shown of Erica smiling and laughing at the beach in the days following the murders, Tominelli explained that she was under the influence of high doses of Xanax and Paxil, which explained why she appeared to be so at ease. She's a fragile, psychologically weak young woman, Tominelli said. The defense and the prosecution sparred with one another, with Tominelli accusing Todd of treating Erica unfairly simply because he didn't like her. He knows Benjamin Sifrit was the killer, Tominelli said. On June 10, 2003, Erica was convicted of first-degree murder in the death of Joshua Ford and the second-degree murder of Jeannie Crutchley. At her sentencing, she was stony-faced and unemotional throughout the statements given by Joshua and Jeannie's family members. It was only when her attorneys began talking about her life up to that point that she broke down sobbing. She asked if she could apologize. Everything they said to me, I deserve that and so much more. I don't feel worthy to stand here and ask for their forgiveness. I can't fathom their loss. I am so sorry. Frederick County Circuit Court Judge Edward Dwyer Jr. remarked that in his view, there were two distinctly different Erica Sifrits, much like Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. These are senseless and horrible murders, Judge Dwyer said. It's a tragedy for everybody. Erica was sentenced to life in prison for the first-degree murder of Joshua, plus 20 years for the murder of Jeannie. 
Melissa Ford, Josh's sister, said to Erica, I have such hatred in my heart for you. You stole so much from my family. I hope you and your family are haunted every day by your actions. Anita Flickinger, Jeannie's sister, said, It was not just the bodies of Jeannie and Josh you threw away. It was the last shred of your humanity. Benjamin and Erica divorced in August 2010. Following their sentences, they both filed numerous appeals, none of which have been successful. Benjamin is eligible for parole this year, but I couldn't find any information about whether he has actually had a hearing. Erica will be eligible for parole in 2024. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. Sorry there's been such a long gap between this one and my last one. It's been a really busy month and I'm still getting used to recording in my new place. I would absolutely love it if you subscribe to my show wherever you listen to podcasts and give me a rating and review on Apple. Doing these things really helps my show grow. The links to my social media accounts are in the show notes. You can follow me on Instagram to see pictures I put up from each case. If you'd like to get in touch, please email me at talkmurderwithme at gmail.com. Until next time.